All right. Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. Hard to believe, isn't it? Somebody said uh, we need to start putting the thanks back in Thanksgiving and the Christ back in Christmas. So that's what we want to do. Uh, I was actually going to do a Thanksgiving message this morning. However, since I saw all these Christmas songs, I just couldn't help myself and I added another message. So here it goes. You ready? We haven't done this in a while. I look back on the 11 years I've been here at everything I've preached on Christmas because, you know, I keep up with this. And you don't ever want to preach the same thing over again. You want to try to do something new. So what I'm going to do this year is kind of take a harmony of the Gospels, which means you take the different Gospel writers, you compile them together, and you come up with a chronological timeline of the birth of Jesus. So I'll actually print that out for you, give it to you, and then challenge you to do what I'm challenging myself this year, And that is assign each member of your family a different part to read over the Christmas holidays. So somebody can read one account, someone read the other, but it mixes them up where it kind of puts them in a timeline. And it's a neat way to celebrate and keep our mind focused on Christmas. But when we do that, what do we want to think about? Well, first of all, we want to think about the greatness of Jesus. Because after all, without Christ, there is no Christmas and the pivot of history. One man talks about how each writer presents Jesus to us, and he says this, It is rightly said that each of the Gospels present Christ with a distinctive emphasis. Matthew emphasizes his kingship to Israel. Mark emphasizes him as a servant to man. Luke presents him as the normal man for the Gentile people. However... John is different because he presents Jesus as God, fully God. Certainly all the Gospels present all four truths throughout their books. Separate emphasis have allowed them unique functions in telling the story of Jesus. John is unique in his powerful presentation of Jesus as the great creator God of the entire universe. His massive vision of Christ has been used countless times to open the eyes of unbelievers to who Jesus is and the way of salvation. John, the last of all the apostles to die, gave us in his gospel one of four portraits of Jesus written in the decades after Christ's death and resurrection. His gospel is unique in a number of ways. It was written long after others, possibly some 40 years after the end of Jesus' life on earth. Unlike the other Gospels, which were written to present Jesus to different cultural groups, John was written as a universal Gospel to all people. It is to all people of all times and in all places, and he wrote it to you, the church. Why did he do this? John's purpose is to unveil the man, Jesus, and to reveal him as God, very God. Gospel's continuing effect on Christians is equally profound because in John's account, believers find an ongoing source for expanding their concept of the Savior's greatness. The serious student of John will find that each time he turns to this gospel, Christ will be just a little bit bigger. How many of y'all have seen Chronicles of Narnia? 
I know I mention that movie all the time. We let our kids watch it. Actually, I think they introduced it to me after we got the little series in our car. And I actually got to see who Aslan was. You know, he's the, the big lion who represents Jesus. And Mary's the little girl who goes around and she's trying to... Lucy, I'm sorry. Lucy's the, the small one. And she goes around and she tries to... Uh, she, she believes in Aslan. Well, there was a period of time after Aslan had not seen Lucy in a while, and she finally comes up to him and sees him again. She says, oh my, Aslan, you have grown. Now listen. He said, no, child, I haven't changed. What's happened is your understanding of me has grown, and now I'm a whole lot bigger to you. Now let me tell you, I saw that at least a dozen times before that truth in that movie hit me. And then I realized the practical implications of it is this. God has always been as big as God always is. You and I don't understand that. God doesn't change. He cannot get any bigger. But the more we grow, the bigger He gets. So prepare to see a big God this morning. I mean, let me tell you, so, so you don't think this is a theological diatribe. And I'm not just sitting up here spouting off truth that has nothing to do with your life. The greatness of Jesus changes the way you live. The greatness of Jesus changes the way you treat your parents. It changes the way you treat your spouse. It changes the way you treat your employer and your employees. It changes the way you live. Because His greatness changes our life. Your whole purpose in life is altered when we know who He is. So let's just take a glance this morning. I'm going to start reading in John chapter 1, and I'm going to invite you to read. There's 18 verses. You read with me. You want to do that? We're all on the same page because I put it on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through Him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He who I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace heaped upon grace. 
Literal translation there, folks. Grace heaped upon grace. How can you get more grace? I hear I'm going to start preaching. Grace heaped upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Ooh, what a passage of text. The greatest passage in the Word of God on the deity and the person of Jesus. This is almost like being a child out on an ocean bank trying to dig down with a little spoon so that you can make yourself a ditch so you can see all the crystals in the grain of sand. Can you imagine trying to do that? I mean, are y'all like me? You put sand. I hate sand, by the way, but you get that sand. I like to dig down and get the good wet sand and watch the water come, lay it out, and just, just try to take and rake all the sand off. Hold it up to the light. Let it dry. Look how many sand crystals are still on your hand if you scrape it all off. Can you imagine how many multiple octrillion, I mean, what's that number? Well, I'm going to show you in a minute. Can you imagine how many sand crystals there are? And God knows and created every one. When, when a sand crystal changes off the ocean tide, God knows how many are there. And it doesn't confuse Him a bit to keep up with the shores in uh, the United States or off of Africa. He knows. God knows how many birds drop out of the sky every day and die. And He also knows how many are born. He knows how many feathers are on those birds. And He knows how many fall off. He doesn't learn one thing and He knows everything. Does that boggle your mind? And by the way, I'm talking about Jesus. God, very God. Now let's think about His greatness. There are three reasons we celebrate the greatness of Jesus. And here's the first. Number one, because of His eternality. Now by the way, you and I are beings of time. And hear me closely, many, many people... Uh, lose their mind and choose not to believe because our little human peanut minds, no matter how smart we think we are, cannot grasp the greatness of God. Folks, let me just help you with something here. It is impossible for your created mind, no matter how sharp your intellect is, to fully grasp the greatness of God. How does a created being of such minuscule amount and size in comparison to the greatness of God, how does a little itty-bitty grain of sand understand the vastness of the creation? I mean, we don't even understand everything there is to know about our own creation. We learn things all the time. If we don't know that and we learn things every day, how in the world can the human mind fully comprehend the greatness of God? It's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. He is eternal, and we need to worship Him because of His eternality. Our minds have to have point in time. But now this morning, as you can think of whatever you want to think, how old is the earth? You know, people like to ask that all the time. Listen, folks, listen to me carefully. I'm not trying to debunk Ken Ham, and I'm not trying to debunk anybody else. I'm simply saying, come up here real close, we don't exactly know. The better question is, how long has mankind existed? Okay, that's the better question. 
Of course God could create the earth with age. Obviously He did. But how long has man existed? Most best guesses are 10 to 12 to 13,000 years, okay? Maybe we're off a little bit. God didn't tell us. He didn't put a date in there. So it must not be something that we should fight and fight and fight over. But one thing we do know, it's not billions and billions of years old. Mankind is not billions of years old. But here's the point. Before all of that, before creation, before any universe, before there was even matter that was created, God existed. And I want you to hear me, folks. We cannot, we cannot fathom anything without space and time. God is not a being of time. God is not a being of space. How can a being not occupy space and time? Don't ask me those questions. You can't answer them and I can't either. But somewhere, somehow, and in some way, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit enjoying eternal glory together, needing no one or no thing at no time and in no way. They were perfectly whole and perfectly God. We don't know where. Now, before you think I'm making this up, You know, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Take your Bible, turn over to John chapter 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer. I know we're getting out into the deep end of the water, but we need to know who this baby was in Bethlehem. John 17, verse 5, Jesus is praying here to to the Father. His disciples were all around, and I just want to read what he says. He says, and now, Father, I'm in verse 5. Now, Father, before I go to the cross, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you. Can you all help me read the rest of that? Before the world existed. Now, hold on for a minute. It's a deep prayer. What he's saying is, Father, I'm getting ready to go to a cross and die, and you knew that this was going to be, and you planned this for me, even before the worlds began. Back in the tr- They knew this. They didn't need man. They didn't need the earth. They didn't need the stars. They don't need the heavens. They didn't need air or oxygen or food or water. God, God, the Godhead needed nothing. They were perfectly celebrating glory with one another. We don't know how long for all eternity. That you can't even fathom that in your mind. But God steps out of nowhere. The Trinity has this discussion. Beings were created, possibly spirit beings, well before mankind. We don't, don't even get into that. God's so big, we don't have all the answers. Don't try to act like you have all the answers, by the way. We don't, we don't know everything. Quit trying to say God created angels on day one and there were no beings before the creation of the earth, before somebody shoots holes in all that, because the angels watched the creation. Spirit beings watched the creation. They saw Him name them. I mean, what I'm trying to say is God's big. He's eternal. He does what He wants to and doesn't ask for our opinion. No fourth member of the Trinity has ever been put up for the council.
I was trying to be nice. He stepped out of the portals of eternity and he was pre-existent. In the beginning was the Word. Not only was he pre-existent, but he was in relationship. Look at this in the text. The Word was with God. Now we know that the Word here is referring to Jesus because in chapter 1 verse 14, the Word become flesh. There's no question who this is. It's referring to Jesus. But he was in perfect relationship. You tie this, the Word was with God, with Jesus' prayer in John 17. Glorify me in your presence because I'm getting ready to go to the cross and do what you sent me to do. Give me the same glory, Father, that I had with you before the world was. Now, by the way, that shows full deity because the Bible says God shares His glory with who? Go ahead and say it. Say it again like you mean it. God doesn't share His glory with anyone. Jesus had it. Now, are you ready for this? Are y'all ready for this? Do you know in eternity future, God will share His glory with us, the redeemed? He will. But He says He shares His glory with no one, but He will with us. You're talking about an eternal Christmas present. Wow. And He's even given us His glory now. We're we're changed from one stage of glory to the other, to the other, to the other every day as we allow the Holy Spirit to change our life and make us more like Jesus. I'm not making this up. 2 Corinthians 3. We're made more like Him. Wow. But He was eternally in relationship. Now, by the way, what does that tell us about mankind? You know, we learn truths from the Trinity that we need to have in our own life how did god make us to be out on an island all by ourselves, or did he make us to be in relationship with people if if you and i are not in relationship with people and we need different kinds of relationships in our life by the way god doesn't need them we do god has them and we're a mirror of being made in the image of God, and the Father, Son, and Spirit have relationship with one another, we need relationship. Why do you think Adam was lonely in the garden? You know, God says, name all the animals, Adam. Hippopotamus, elephant, dog, cat, monkey. You find anything you like? Mm Mm-mm. Okay. He made Eve. First words out of Adam's mouth were what? You all know what the answer is. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, because she was taken out of Ish. She says, Isha. And then, of course, he said, hot dog. That's... <laughs> what, a, what a beautiful woman. Made for relationship. We need that relationship in our life. We need each other. That's how God made us. And we learned that from this concept of the Trinity. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus was not made God. He was God. He is God. He's never not been God. Fully God. Listen closely. As fully God as the Father and as the Spirit. 
Now, I say this because I know we have mixed groups that watch us, and we invite all people to watch us and come and join us and hear God's Word. And be, but listen to me. If you have any lesser view of Jesus Christ, the one who came at Nazareth, other than that He is God, fully God, fully as the Father, never created, you have a wrong view of Jesus. It's unorthodox. It's not what God's Word says. He was fully God, with God, always God, never became God, and as much God as God the Father. Whew. Now that's why when Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and I could go on down the list, they all have a lesser view of God, folks. One believes Jesus was created and He became God just like you'll become God. And another thinks that the Father created Jesus uh, as one of the highest beings. Baloney! He never had a creation. He never had a beginning. The incarnation is simply the eternal God choosing to become flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He chose that. The God who shared the glory with the Father chose to become a child, a man-child, so that He might be like His fallen creation, except without sin. We know why He became a man. Because no one else could pay the price for Adam's sin and his fall in the garden except the God-man Himself. Somebody from the Godhead had to choose to step out and become a man to take our place. This is why Jesus is to be lifted high. He was the one who chose to do it and accepted gladly to have the glory that he's, He had received before the foundation and before the world ever existed. He chose to have that glory veiled and set aside and come down and become a baby. That He might become like us. Because that was the only remedy for man's sin. And God Himself had to pay that sin price. Eternally God. And notice this. Jesus Himself is eternally the Creator and Sustainer of everything that you see. Notice what the text says. I'm not making it up. The Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. What does that mean? That means all things. True or false? Jesus is the primary creator of all things. Go ahead. Don't be a, don't be a true or false. You've got a 50% chance. All right. True or false? God the Father is primary creator of all things. What? True or false? The Holy Spirit is primary creator of all things. I would have some fun with you in theology class, by the way. True or false, God the Father is is preeminent in our salvation. God the Father. True or false? Come on, you've got to answer. You'll get a zero on it. 
Somebody, somebody say it. True or false. God the Son is preeminent in our salvation. True or false. God the Spirit is preeminent in our salvation. The Godhead works together, folks. They're in relationship and they work together. But Jesus is credited, listen to this, as being the creator of all things. And without Him, John says, there wasn't anything made that was made. And by the way, this is the question that no scientist, no philosopher, nobody else can ever answer. Are you ready? You ready for this? Where did matter come from? Listen to me carefully. Stop all this ridiculousness, reading all these Dawkins books and all this stuff. They, ha- they are very intelligent people, but stop all of that. Answer this question. Where does matter come from? You have one of two options. Either matter is eternal and created everything else, or God is eternal and created everything else. One of the two has to be God. You cannot have it both ways. Which is it? Now, hear me. It takes more faith to believe that matter, wherever it was and however it came into being, if it never had a a beginning, it's eternal, it's God. If matter is eternal and God is not, then evolution and all of that is correct however if god is eternal and matter came into being you know what happens you have a whole role reversal it takes more faith folks to believe that matter is eternal and everything happened by time and chance than it does to believe that there's a god who was eternally existent who created and made all things and without him not anything that was made was made More faith to believe the other than it does to believe that there's an eternally existent God. Now, by the way, there's the the great conundrum. Are you ready for this? If your intellectual mind is going to say, well, I'm going to ration this out and reason it. I'm going to lay the evidence on this side. And, you know, if God tips the scale, then I will choose to believe. Well, I've got news for you because good theology says, no, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't. But perhaps God puts that in your heart to do the investigating, and then maybe God opens your heart and you believe. But the bottom line is simply this. All things were made by Him and through Him and for Him, and without Him, not anything that was made was made. I mean, this is a creator. Now, I did some digging this week because I'm a curious fellow. You know, I like to know how many zeros is after trillion. Do you like to know that? But I did some examining this week, and I found this fascinating illustration. I should have put it on the screen. There are about 100 billion stars in the average galaxy. And there are at least 100 million galaxies in known space. This is what we have created telescopes and so forth 
to see. Einstein believed that we have scanned with our largest telescopes only one billionth of the theoretical space. This means that there are probably something like, you ready for this? Ten octillion stars in God's space. So how many stars is that? Well, a thousand thousands equals a million. A thousand millions equals a billion. A thousand billions equals a... A thousand trillions equals a... Quadrillion. Somebody got it. I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't looked it up, so I'm not trying to be smart. A thousand quadrillions equals a... A what? A quintillion? Did that come from one of my children? Wow. A thousand quintillions equals a... You folks are smart. A sextillion. Stop that. A thousand sextillions equals a... Septillion. Somebody's on Google right now. And a thousand septillions equals a octillion. Now, you got that in your mind? Okay. All that equals, equals an octillion. Okay, now, with that in mind, so ten octillion is a ten with 27 zeros behind it. And that is the estimation of how many stars are in the galaxy. And by the way, Jesus created them all. We have one verse in Genesis that God gives to the stars. You know what it says? And He created the stars also. He wasn't concerned about the stars. He was concerned about man that He made in His image. And that is why the Genesis account reads as it does. He was given an inhabitable place on earth for the crown of His creation, which was mankind made in His image. That's why it's not a science book. It's not a biology book. It's not an astronomy book. It's a book about God, His greatness, and His relationship with fallen mankind and His plan to redeem man to the full state that He had him in the garden and even greater in eternity future. What a God and what a Creator. Okay, now our head hurts so we can talk about something much more practical, right? The second reason we should worship Him is because of His love. Look in chapter 1, verse 4. The Bible says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, thank the Lord, was not able to keep the light from shining. Now to make this a, a great illustration, imagine this, you turn all the lights off in a room and you have it totally pitch black. And it's dark. You can't overcome that darkness. By the way, I tried it the other night and failed. You can't. But if you take a light out and you turn it on and boom, you shine it, there is no part of that darkness that can't be penetrated with a good bright light. And this is what John says. Jesus came into the world of darkness 
And he was the light that came down and the darkness could not stop him. And it did not overcome him. Because he was not only the light, but he was the life. Verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came unto his own people Israel as their Messiah King. And his own people Israel rejected him. They did not receive him. But to all who do receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Wow. God's plan and will would not be thwarted. What was his love? Look at this. His, he was light revealed and he was also light rejected. This is a whole sermon, by the way. I told you I'm like a kid digging out on the sea trying to get the grain. He's called the Word, the Light, the Life, the Beginning. I mean, we could go all the way down through here. John lays out all of these theological themes in verses 1 through 18 and then pounds on them through the book. I mean, what a rich study. Most people believe verse 1 through 18 was a hymn that was sung in the early church. A theological hymn that was penned. I don't know that I would go that far. But if you do study in the original language, it is so flowing and rhythmic and beautiful. Beautiful. The prologue to the book. Light revealed, light rejected, and then the light received. Isn't that amazing? That's kind of how our gospel message goes out. Isn't it? We share the gospel with people. We, we share the light with them. And what do some do? They reject the light. However, to whoever believes and they receive that light, what happens? Their eyes are open to the truth, their heart is open, and they believe on Jesus for eternal life. What a wonderful message. He is the light. So we worship Him because of the greatness of of His eternality. We worship Him because of the greatness of His love. And by the way, what love? Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about this? I mean, just, just sit and think about it. God, Almighty God in glory, receiving the full glory of everything. And by the way, you want a good picture of that? Are you all with me? Am I off on a diatribe this morning? When Karen starts going like this, I know. You know, I get so excited about this. Do you all like to read the Old Testament? Do you? Okay. Do you all remember the story back in Isaiah when God calls Isaiah, the greatest prophet, you know, long, he, he lived longer through reigns and reigns of kings. God called Isaiah and said, Isaiah, who will go for me? Isaiah, Lord, I'll go. He was taken. Died again. No, it didn't. He was taken up into the portals of heaven, into the throne room of God. You ready for this? And while Isaiah was there, you can turn to Isaiah 6 and read this later, he saw the angels standing around the throne of God, and they were crying, you know, this is where we get the song from, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth, the whole heavens, everything is filled with His glory. Isaiah sees this, you know. 
And then he realizes the glory of God. And then, you know, before he was going, Woe to you, Israel, you bunch of rat rascals, you doing that. Woe to you, Israel, you go. When he saw God, you know what he did? Listen, this is what happens to us. He saw the glory of God. He forgot about everybody else's wickedness. And he saw his own. And he said, woe, woe is me. I mean, I've been preaching about everybody else. Woe is me, God. I am a man with a filthy mouth and a terrible heart. Oh, God, how can I stand to look at your glory? Who will go for me? And God says, you know what, Isaiah? We'll take you. We'll take you. And you're going to go out and you're going to tell everybody about me and my glory and my judgment. And Isaiah, they're not going to hear a word. As a matter of fact, I'm going to harden their heart and not one of them is going to turn and listen to you. Every one of them is going to stiffen their neck and harden their heart. And not one of them is going to listen. They're all going to reject. Now, by the way, do you think God can do that to a nation? Can God, <clears throat> can God cut the light off where that nation won't believe? And they're... Hearts are hardened and their ears are stopped up and their eyes are blind and they don't want to see? Can he? Oh, oh yes he can. By the way, that's when the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 says that's when you know the wrath of God has come. Because man can't see and he doesn't want to see and he enjoys and loves his darkness because he would rather have it than light. And God does that to people, and He does it to nations. But Isaiah saw that. Now, now we're in John. Turn over to John chapter 12. This is extra because I'm not coming back to the Gospel of John for the Christmas story. Who did, John, who did Isaiah see? Who did he see? Can y'all answer that question? Who did he see? <clears throat> well... I'm going to go down to verse 36, right in the middle. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Verse 37, Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now, he's quoting from Isaiah 52 and 3 right here. You ready? Lord... Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I mean, what's the arm of the Lord, by the way? You know, when that metaphor is used, that's the strength of God. Who have, who have you revealed your strength to? Therefore, God revealed his arm. They didn't believe in him. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Verse 41, this is my point. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, who is his glory? Well, in Greek they always teach you to go back to the nearest antecedent. And that's how you identify the pronoun. Who is the nearest antecedent here? Jesus. 
Let me also help you with something else. Anytime you go back in the Old Testament and you see a manifestation of God in the form of a, a man that stands like with Gideon and so forth, that is not God the Father. That is the second person of the Trinity because God the Father doesn't take on a bodily form. You see, when Jesus was on the Emmaus Road and he said, you know, he pulled up his sleeves to break bread and they saw the holes in his hands. And the text says that their hearts burned within them as he opened up the law and the prophets. And he began to share the things about himself in the law and the prophets. Let me tell you something, folks. Our Lord Jesus was way more active in the Old Testament than you think he was. All things were made by Him and for Him and through Him. And He has guided and routed all of history. Why do you think when the Jews came to Jesus and said, You're not our father, Abraham. What did Jesus say? Before Abraham was, I am. And by the way, for you Jews, Abraham longed to see my day and he saw it. Now you figure that one out. We, we worship Moses and the law. What did Jesus say? Who do you think gave the law to Moses? Who do you think Moses saw up on Mount Sinai when he saw a picture of the throne? Who did he see? And his feet were sitting there. Who did he see? What a God. What a God we serve in the little baby who came to the earth, the Lord Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. He's great, folks. He's great. But we should also worship Him because of His grace. This is a wonderful, wonderful passage. And obviously, one cannot expound on its greatness, but here's a shot. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, Full of grace and truth. What a wonderful mixture he had. Down in verse 16. From his fullness we have all received. Can't you say amen to that? Grace heaped upon grace. When you think you've got enough grace, he just dumps out more. Grace heaped upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then John adds this wonderful phrase, No one has ever seen God. God the Father has never, never exhibited Himself completely anywhere to anyone except God the Son. No one has seen God. Now listen to me, folks. Listen closely. When TV preachers and people get excited and tell you, I saw God in a vision. I saw Him. I saw His fullness. Let me tell you something. Jesus said this, No man has ever seen God. Ever. But, notice this, but the only God who is at the Father's side, He has, and the word here in Greek is exegeted, which means drawn out, pulled out, made upon full display. He has 
made him fully known. Now, listen. Right before Jesus died, he said, I'm going to the Father. Thomas said, tell us where you're going. Show us the Father. What did Jesus say? Thomas, he who has seen me, I'm going to interpretively read here, has seen the fullness of the eternal God from eternity past all the way through eternity. He has chosen to reveal himself right here. And Thomas, when you've seen me, my friend, you have seen God the Father. Paul wrote about Jesus in Colossians that in Him the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. Wow, what a mystery! The great God of eternity became a man and the fullness of God was displayed in the person of Jesus. And when we understand the greatness of our Lord, what do we do? We should bow on our knees before Him, worship Him, be thankful to Him because He's just lavished us with His grace. Now folks, listen. Do you know how much of this we would know without God's Word? Not one thing. Not one thing. You and I would know not one thing. We would only have creation and conscience to tell us about God. We would know none of this truth. So God has lavished grace upon us by giving His written revelation of Himself. And then He's given us more grace by letting us understand it. And then worship Him because of it. Jesus is big. He's great. He's awesome. And when John saw Him on the Isle of Patmos, do you know what he did? You know what he did? He fell at His feet as dead. How many of us this morning are willing to fall at His feet as dead? I mean, boy, we're, we're willing to tell God what we think, aren't we? But are we willing to fall at His feet? We know little to nothing. I'm like a kid on the ocean this morning, just scooping it, sand. Can't even get to the bottom. The vastness and the greatness of God. Now, this great God, by the way, for those of us who have trusted Him as our Savior the one who takes away the penalty of our sin, gives us His righteousness. Listen to what Jude says about Him. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Do you stumble in your Christian life, by the way? Do you? Go ahead and say yes. Everyone here who's honest is broken. We all need grace. We're all sinners. As rotten as they come. Have I offended you yet? I'm like the old lady that, you know, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. He was standing at the back of the, the absolute highest Presbyterian church in California. And he said one Sunday morning he'd been preaching. He said a lady came out with a top hat on and she was prim and proper and he said she came up to me and said, Dr. McGee, you offended me today by calling me a sinner. J. Vernon McGee said, Ma'am, in 20 years of ministry, that's the highest compliment anyone has ever paid me. (laughs) 
We need to know we're sinners. Because you can't get grace unless you recognize you're a sinner. But unto Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and are you ready for this? Boy, this is a good memory verse. And even though you stumble, and even though you fall, and even though you have scars, and even though you have bruises, and even though you failed in your Christian life, are you ready? He is able to keep you from stumbling, and not just that, that per- Present you, what? To present you blameless before the presence of His. This is some pretty big glory. We're pretty big sinners. He's a great big Jesus. And He's able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of His glory, the same place Isaiah saw. And He's going to do it. Are, are you, you all like this? He's going to do it with what? Great joy. He loves His children. I love, I, I hate Facebook, but I love to watch people take pictures of their children. This is the highlight of my life. I love, and they show their children. Every time I see that, you know what? I start thinking about if we have that much love and grandeur toward our children, what do you think God the Father has toward us? Present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. And now Jude says, to the only God, and in case you don't know who that is, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who I'm talking about right now, be glory, be majesty, kingship, be dominion. There is no nation, no man, no army, no anything more powerful. To Him be dominion and authority. Listen to this phrase now. Are you ready? As it was before all time, And right now, and may glory be to His name forevermore. Because He's great. And all of God's people's hearts rejoiced. And we thank Him. Father, thank You for Jesus. Father, what a difficult challenge it is to explain how great He is. But oh, may we just get one glimpse of His greatness, of His love, of His grace. And Father, I pray if anyone is here this morning or watching online, You would open their hearts to receive the grace of Jesus and help them believe on Him for eternal life and the payment for their sin. And Father, anyone here this morning that's struggling, I pray, oh God, You would give them a glimpse of a great Savior. And they might have a great problem, but there is no problem that's greater than the Savior. And that whatever we go through now in this life, 
you are going to present us blameless before the presence of your glory because of your goodness and your grace and your love. And we thank you for that. We worship you this morning for that. And we ask your blessings on our life, our week, and here at our church, our Christmas season. May you be the one who's lifted as high as we can possibly lift you in our life and in our church and our ministry here because you deserve it and octillion, octillion, ten octillion, trillion, whatever the number is, more because that's who you are. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.